previously on Dynasty in the Woods. The 1-1 pitch to Grenier has popped up on the right side. A long run for Jared Gates in foul territory. Gates, and they let it drop. Three hogs came together. They were tasked with a very tough foul ball, and, and uh, lucky enough for me, they didn't catch it. The 2-2 pitch to Caden Grenier. Grounded into left field. Base hit. Clayton scores. The ball game is tied at three. Caden Grenier gets a second chance. And the Beavers are still alive in Omaha. The left-hander Cronin delivers. Lornick drives it to deep right field. On its way. So long. Trevor Lornick, a two-run homer. The Beavers lead it five to three. A rally for the ages in Omaha. The Beavers 5, Arkansas 3. We'll see you tomorrow night for the national championship in Omaha, Nebraska. An extraordinarily dramatic Game 2 leveled the College World Series Finals at a game apiece between Arkansas and Oregon State. That set the table for a winner-take-all Game 3 rubber match for the national championship. I'm your host, Josh Warden. This is episode 16 of Dynasty in the Woods. We revisit the aftermath of game two and then move on to game three in just a moment. This podcast series supports local and international charities, including Children's Garden, which is located in the Philippines. Children's Garden is a small operation, just a single home that provides housing for about a dozen teenagers who are living on the street. By providing a home, education, tutoring, and other resources, Children's Garden is changing lives. Please learn more at childrensgarden.ph. That's childrensgarden.ph. I really believe that if you win the first game and, and you lose the second game, the pressure's on the team that won the first game. And uh, you know we had the same scenario against North Carolina, where we lost the first game of the series, came back, then we lost the first game of the championship series, down five to nothing. Billy Rao, who's one of our undergraduate coaches, hits a three-run homer, and we're off to the races. And the next night, you know, I felt I felt so good about the momentum that we had, and felt that the pressure was on them. The Beavers did end up winning that Game 3 back in 2006. Now they head into a somewhat similar Game 3 situation in 2018. For me, that was the most surreal because if you can remember in 2006, I got lucky enough to hit a home run in Game 2 of a championship series to put us ahead in the game. And so it was already such a trip for me from a player's perspective to be watching that as a coach. After his home run sparked the comeback in 2006, Bill Rao had since come back to Oregon State to join the coaching staff, so he was there not only to see Larnick's similar home run, but also the whole College World Series that paralleled 2006. For such a similar route to have been taken, losing and then coming through the loser's bracket and then watching Trevor hit that home run just after that game, that's when every single person on that team knew that no matter what, we were going to win a championship. The players felt the same way. Sure, if the Razorbacks caught Caden's foul ball, they would have swept Oregon State, but it was that foul ball that changed everything. Remember Jake Mulholland saying after the foul ball, OSU was going to win game two. Not even before we scored, it was when that ball dropped. We were still losing and we were like, we're going to win this game now. But Jake goes one step further. It wasn't just game two that was decided after the foul ball. Oh, that the series, the series was won after that ball was dropped. The series was won. Yeah, w yeah. We knew 
especially after we had won the game two, that we had won the College World Series. And there was like not a doubt on any person's mind. When it bounced, I said right then and there, that's the kind of play in sports. Beavers will win this game and win the series. There's no way you can have that happen and still lose. When we won that game, there was no doubt when we walked on that bus, we were going to win the national championship. And I think I speak for every single guy in that organization because it took Arkansas soul. We took their soul. They were down to the final strike thinking they were going to win. And we came back and said, not today. The whole night and the whole morning, even when we got to the field, we were 100% sure that we were going to win. There was no doubt in anyone's mind. I mean, when I tell you, like, it was the weirdest thing because we're just in the cages stretching and everyone's like, what's everyone tripping about? Like, we're going to win. Like, you know, the parents and stuff like, oh, good luck. And we're always like, no, we're going to win. I don't think you understand. Like, we knew we were going to win. It was no doubt. Like, no disrespect to Arkansas, but like, baseball is a game of momentum. And that was the biggest momentum shift that could possibly happen. Oh my gosh, so confident. That momentum shift was incredible. And it was coming out of that game, I have never seen a team that was so focused and determined. You know, we were excited, of course, but there was this settled, just calm energy about us and a swagger, you could say. You know, we had everything firing behind us. We knew, we, we believed we were the better team the whole time. It was just, you know, Arkansas was, was battling with us the whole time. But with this kind of momentum and confidence that we had, like it was, it was a no doubter we were gonna do it. Once that game ended and we had won, Gretler just had this crazy look in his eye and he was telling everybody they have no chance, they have no chance. The confidence that we had from that home run, I mean, we literally just took everything out of Arkansas. They were deflated. We knew all we had to do is kind of show up and do Beaver baseball and it was going to be ours no matter what. We had that conversation when we got back onto the bus after game two. It was, it's over. The whole team was of one accord, from the players you just heard, like Kyle Novak, Caden Grenier, Stephen Kwan, Kevin Abel, and Zach Taylor. The confidence was not the issue. It was not letting the energy run too high, as Trevor Larnick realized a few hours after his home run. You know, after the last night, it was it was hard to sleep because I was just thinking about today's game, and and this is for all the marbles, really. So it was hard to sleep, but I, you know, I got some rest and. Woke up this morning just ready to go, and everyone's excited, everyone's confident and relaxed. Jubilation in Beaver Nation, despondency for Arkansas, which was a strike away, a foul ball away from ending it, didn't get it done. A great win and a memorable win. Always will feel sorry for the players on the Arkansas team that couldn't get the final out, but that's sports. It's baseball and it's sports. How could you not be deflated after after having that happen? I mean, you're one catch away from winning the College World Series. Ball drops, three minutes later, you're down and you've lost the game. I mean, I just, I don't understand how you're not deflated a little bit. It wasn't how much it triggered us into momentum. I think it's how much we saw them, I won't say cave, but like that was our chance. When you lose a game, the way Arkansas had lost, you just really wonder about the team's psyche, about their emotions, and whether or not they're going to be able to show up and play a winning level of baseball. They had the ultimate pinnacle right in front of them, one foul ball away, and they lost it. You know, I want to say they had it snatched level, but they really just fumbled it. Seth Campbell was covering the College World Series for the Arkansas Traveler and was there in the Arkansas locker room after their devastating game, too. You walk in there, and I've just never seen a scene like this. It, it was weird. 
the faces of these guys, they had another game to play. They were downtrodden. They were defeated in that moment. There were multiple guys that in the locker rooms that there's showers in the back. Uh, Dominic Fletcher, the center fielder I know is one of them, that took his food, went back into the shower and sat down and was just eating it so that that way no reporters would come and talk to him. It just felt like things kind of unraveled so fast when the home run got hit. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, well, they've won this game and they probably won the series. Matt Jones, who also covers the Arkansas baseball team, remembers feeling the likelihood of Arkansas winning game three. I remember driving to the ballpark thinking, Arkansas is not going to win this game, but they could. They could be national champions tonight. Maybe they surprise everybody. But if you watch baseball enough, you know, I think about like the game six of the 2011 MLB World Series when the Cardinals came back to beat the Rangers. Everyone knew that the Cardinals were going to win game seven when they played the Rangers the next night. And that's kind of the feeling that I had going into that game three. That's a relevant parallel. In the 2011 MLB World Series, the St. Louis Cardinals, just like Oregon State, needed to win two games in a row to win the World Series. Down by two runs in Game 6, the Cardinals scored two runs in the ninth inning to tie. Again, got down by two runs in extras, then scored two runs to tie it up again. Then they won the game on a walk-off home run in the 11th inning by David Freeze. A whirlwind comeback for the Cardinals, but maybe even more so, a back-breaking loss for the Rangers. But the series wasn't over, they were still at Game 7 the next day. Would the team that had just cataclysmically collapsed be able to rebound in Game 7? It's a pretty simple answer. No, not at all. The Rangers lost 6-2. And that's just anecdotal evidence. Statistically, of all the World Series that have gone to a Game 7, a whopping 76% of the time, the team that won Game 7 was also the team coming off a win in Game 6. Even that number doesn't account for the more dramatic penultimate games like the 2018 College World Series. But even with all that in mind, some people close to the program say Arkansas players kept their heads high and actually were confident about Game 3. I will give them a lot of credit. They were very, hey, we lost a game. It, it happens. We've been down. We've been out. Arkansas reporter Hayden Balgavy was in the locker room after game two and remembers in particular one Arkansas player, Hunter Wilson, being level-headed. He was literally eating a bag of Doritos when we came and interviewed him. He's like, I ain't worried about it. One game. You give me, you give me one game to win a title, perfect. And he's just eating these Doritos. And we're like, how are how are you functioning right now? If you listen to Hunter Wilson's interview, you can hear him rummaging in his Doritos bag and taking a bite while answering questions. What else else would you want? This is it, man. All the marbles, one game. We're so good, man. I ain't worried about it. Hunter Wilson was a bench warmer, but at least some of the starters also gave similar responses about game three. 70th game or whatever, you know, it's you learn to flush things pretty quick. And, you know, I don't think we had any, you know, negativity at all going to that game. Of course, you could say the players just had a facade of confidence because who wants to admit they knew they were going to lose a game before it happened, but Grant Cook, the starting catcher you just heard, meant what he said. That's what he told Michael Gretler long after the College World Series. Cook and Gretler were on opposite teams at Omaha, but almost immediately after, became teammates in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. And after a while, the pair of teammates finally broached the topic of Game 3. I don't think there was any doubt in any of our minds after Trevor hit that home run that we were going to win game three. And I told Grant that. I was like, we all knew the series was over. He's like, really? Because like, we got back in the locker room and like, we, our spirits were high. Like, we were confident. We were like, ah, whatever. Like, it's one game. Like, you know, we 
basically beat them every inning up until that ninth inning. So I thought that was really fun to hear because it was, we almost both had the same mindset after having been on complete opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to that play. But on the other hand, just like Michael Gretler became minor league teammates with one Arkansas player, so did Caden Grenier. Playing in the Orioles organization with Blaine Knight, Caden Grenier heard a different side of the story. I think he even felt like it was a little bit like, dude, you know, I, I don't know. He knew that they were good enough to do it, but he also, I think, was very uneasy about that third game. Apparently, there was not consensus in the Arkansas locker room. Some players were still reeling from game two, others felt pretty good already, but that alone tips the scales in Oregon State's favor if even some of the Arkansas players were unsettled. I'm sure they like their chances too, but I think it would also be a little ignorant to think that we didn't have momentum going into that third game. It's one thing to look at how the players were feeling, but you might get a different perspective from the fans. Not that they have the same tangible impact on the outcome, but are still perhaps a sort of measuring stick for the unspoken feelings on each side. When we came back in one game two, even the Arkansas fans knew that they weren't going to win game three. I mean, it was just like gut-wrenching to them. You could just tell it took the momentum out of that series on that fly ball down first baseline. This is former OSU player Scotty Church, who was there in Omaha as a fan and saw the stark difference after Game 2, even in how fans interacted with each other that night after the comeback. Some of the fans and alumni went to Blatt, which is right across the street from the stadium. And there wasn't, by an hour after the game, there wasn't one Arkansas fan in that building because there was so much back-and-forth trash talking going on. They knew that was their chance to take the series and... You can't sleep on Oregon State. I mean, it'll just come back to bite you every single time. And the ones who were partaking in adult beverages tended to do it more independently. Going back to the hotel, I remember walking into the lobby, an Arkansas fan that was sitting by himself with two or three beers. He was just in disgust like he knew it was over. The gut-wrencher wasn't just that it was a close loss, but that it was one play that could have changed it all. A lot of people just, how do you not catch it? How do you not catch it? How do you not catch it? The drop foul ball caused some fans to start looking for a scapegoat after game two. It seems like everybody thinks that Carson Chatty was in the wrong for running over like he did from second base. I don't necessarily agree with that, but he's the one who took the brunt of the criticism for sure from the Arkansas fan base. And I remember it being pretty nasty toward him on social media after game two, even going into game three, which was crazy when you think about it, that they still had a chance to win the national championship and you had people ripping him on social media. And for everybody out there that are dogging these kids, these young men, these are student athletes. These are not the St. Louis Cardinals. They're not getting paid $15 million to go out there and play. These are teenagers, somebody's kids out there. I want you to stop the hating on social media. It's ridiculous. These guys play their hearts out. For some fans, the lasting memory of Carson Chatty will be the foul ball. But this is the same guy who made first team all SEC. He's the reason they got to Omaha in the first place. I think there was a lot of unnecessary criticism toward Carson about that one play because without Carson Shadda, that team doesn't get to the championship series. He was the heart and soul of that team, and he had a lot of plays during the postseason that really helped them get to that point. A lot's going to be put on Carson Shaddy. Folks, I know you're mad about that pop-up, but without him getting that base hit to give you the lead in game two, you're not even in that position. So Carson Shaddy, Fayetteville native, he did everything for this ball. I want you to take that pop-up and forget about it. Back off him. Don't blame this on him. That was, that was a whole nother game. Absolutely. A whole nother game tonight. That was very tough for him to have to answer those questions and then, and then get ready to play a baseball game the next day. 
Earlier, we talked about Eric Cole's perspective, the right fielder, but we haven't heard from the first baseman, Jared Gates. Gates is, I haven't heard anything from Jared Gates about this. Fair enough. So while Arkansas had to answer questions or avoid questions about why they didn't catch a foul ball and how they'd bounce back after fumbling the national championship, the Razorbacks still had to prepare for game three. Some of the OSU players watched Arkansas's post-game press conference, including Stephen Kwan. Somebody asked them, like, how do you rebound after this game for a game three? And they gave just the most vanilla PC answers that you can give, no emotion to it. And we were all watching that like, yeah, I mean, these guys are done. We got them. And it it was just weak answers like, yeah, you know, we believe we're the best team still. And this game doesn't change anything. It was it was very just fake. And I mean, that we fed off of that as well. Here's how that Arkansas press conference sounded after game two. We're really confident as a team, and I think it's going to be a good day for us, Mo. Yeah, I mean, uh, we get one last opportunity to put on the uniform, no matter what, win or lose, and just go to battle with my brothers. You know, it's going to be a hard-fought battle tomorrow. Yeah, just like you said, we're all ready to play. You know, it's one more day for us to be a Razorback. We'll be ready to go tomorrow for sure. On the other side, Beaver fans reveled in the fanfare and didn't want it to end, as Mike Parker said the next day. When I finally arrived back after the post-game show and get into the lobby of the hotel and it's Beaver Nation gathered watching, it was in the bottom of the eighth, watching the game. The replay. Again, the replay and, <laughs> and treating the lobby felt like the ballpark again. Among all the Beaver supporters basking in the victory, it's possible we can still identify the one individual most thrilled with game two. There's a funny story about uh, my brother and my dad. This is Joe Casey, who is a freshman outfielder on the 2018 team, playing for his father, Pat Casey. Joe's oldest brother, John, was also there in Omaha, rooting passionately for the Beavers. John is the super fan of super fans, and there might be no one more emotionally involved in the ups and downs of the team than John Casey, and that showed in the pregame warm-ups before the wild game, too. So John was in the outfield uh, shagging. He just went out there just so he could hear the Arkansas fans and, you know, get mad because that's what he likes to do. So he goes out there and the Arkansas fans are kind of yelling at him. He wanted to to go over there and start getting in the brawls that were happening. (laughs) He's not a happy camper when when his team's losing. John turns to him and says something and he's walking off the field and they're going left, right, left, right, you know, about his feet. And he comes back in the dugout all pissed off and, and my dad just looks at him and goes, John, you know they're trying to get under your skin? We'll just take it to him during the game. And then John got all fired up and we won that game. That was game two. And I noticed it because, you know, I was out there taking fly balls too. And John just yelling at these Arkansas fans. John got the last laugh over the Arkansas fans, but his story is not the only funny thing that happened with the Casey family during Game 2 versus Arkansas. The whole series brought basically the whole family together, since Joe was on the team and even played in the ninth inning of Game 2. His brother John, as you just heard, was in attendance and actively engaged, and even their two other siblings, Brett and Ellie, had come to Omaha partway through the College World Series. I went out for the finals. It was funny, I booked a plane ticket in the middle of the game of Mississippi State, This was the game OSU led by four runs in the ninth inning and seemed poised to cruise into the College World Series Finals. And the ninth inning happened and I go, oh my gosh, do not do this to me. Jake Mulholland let one run in and loaded the bases, but dramatically got out of the jam to avoid a season-ending collapse. Luckily, we ended up winning, so I got to fly out there for the finals. There was actually a very funny story. Um, The second game, obviously, we were down. Down by a run in the ninth inning, Brett Casey and his sister Ellie started to worry they had come to Omaha just to watch OSU lose two straight games and suffer elimination. 
And me and my sister, I was like, I can't take this. I don't want to see Arkansas celebrate a national championship. So me and my sister start walking back to the hotel. And I go, well, whenever I turn on Mike Parker, stuff seems to happen. Mike Parker had been the radio broadcaster since even before Brett's own playing days for OSU a decade earlier. So I turn on Mike Parker on my phone while we're walking back to the hotel and I hear the first guy get on, got bunted over, and then we're, we're walking up to the hotel room. I turn on the TV, the second I turn on the TV, Caden Grenier hits the pop-up and I go, no! And then it fell, and then I go, oh, baseball gods, he's gonna get a hit. Sure enough, he gets a hit. So me and Ellie are running down the hallways of the hotel just screaming, like, <laughs> and we're like, we are so stupid, why did we ever leave this game? Hey, maybe, maybe we needed to leave for that to happen. You and Mike Parker, that's that's what made the whole thing work. It is. Mike, I, I'm telling you, every time I turn him on, it's just good stuff happens. And then Joe, in the bottom of that ninth inning, had to go out and play center field because the game wasn't over yet. He did. And I, I was sweating. I was like, please don't mess it up, Joe. Please don't mess it up. Joe didn't mess it up, so the whole Casey family got to witness the Game 2 triumph in their various locations, from the dugout, from center field, from the hotel, wherever they were, Game 2 was a banner day not only for Oregon State, but the Casey family as well. Game 3 of the finals would occur on June 28th, a day later than anyone expected the season could last. Game 1 had been postponed, so the season was extended a day, significantly impacting the fans. As great as it's been the last two nights, it has been very, very pro-Arkansas. Yes. I would say 5-1, to one, maybe more 6-1. to one. But as we shift to Game 3, there just won't be as many Arkansas fans. Half the stands were there, half the Arkansas fans left, right? So those first two games, the entire stadium was red and they were doing their woo thing. Their fan base was unreal. And then after that second game, right, they all leave. What does that tell your team? And like, that just told us, oh, they don't have faith in them or like, they think it's over. But I think it was like a weekday and then people probably had to get back to work. But still, we use that, like, that's how we had to think about it. A lot of them did, it's true, they, they went home. Omaha is about five and a half hours north of Fayetteville. And you saw in games one and two that it was like an Arkansas home game. I mean, if there were 25,000 people at TD Ameritrade Park, I would say probably between 18 and 20,000 were there cheering for Arkansas, if not more. But what happened was that so many people had to go back home because they had jobs and, you know, they had only taken off for those three days. And so that game three ended up feeling much more neutral. It was like empty for game three. I just remember walking into the stadium thinking like, this is all the people that are here, like this is it. That first day of the championship where the fans showed up and it was just insane. The first day you had no idea if there was even beer fans in the entire stadium. And then by the last day, I mean, it's all you could really see. The attendance for the first two games were both over 25,000, but for Game 3, that number dropped to 19,000. Even the players' families were affected. After Caden Grenier's infamous foul ball and then RBI single to tie the game, his mom and brother had to leave Omaha before Game 3, missing his final collegiate baseball game. Fortunately, Caden's dad was more lucky. He called his boss at work and was like, hey, here's the situation. His boss goes, Mark, you're never going to get to do this again. Like." Don't come back, stay there. And so it was super clutch that he was able to stay. For game three, Oregon State still had to deal with the injury to center fielder Stephen Kwan. Preston Jones had started game two and played well, but this time with Kwan again unable to start, Pat Casey went with Jack Anderson. 
at that point, we had so much confidence rolling. He was able to pencil me in there and just ask me if I'm good. I'm like, yeah, man, literally, this is the last game I'll ever play, win or lose. So I want to be out there and take every moment in. Jack Anderson, the redshirt senior left fielder, would shift over to center field for his final game. And not just the final game of his collegiate baseball career, but his baseball career, period. Earlier in the year, Jack had been accepted into the doctorate program for physical therapy at Regis University. That was his plan for post-college life. No more baseball after this. At that point, all the Arkansas fans were gone too, so they weren't yelling at you all game and saying God knows what about everyone in your family. So uh, that was kind of a stress relief, didn't have to deal with that. Even though Jack knew the whole time this would be his last game, soon some anxiety cropped up when it sunk in, this really would be his last game ever. It was my plan the whole time. It was harder than I thought it'd be. That was the most nervous I've ever been, just because I knew it was my last game. It was what I was always going to remember. Yeah, I just remember finding a little corner in, a, in the locker room and just having to collect my thoughts and really start getting into a like positive mindset, just because there was a lot of emotion about it being my last game. Incidentally, since Jack would start in center field, he would play his final game at OSU at a position he almost never played. I just look back on it and laugh just because I was consistently told to never take fly balls in center field. I was like, all right, cool. Like, there's enough things to worry about. I won't worry about center field ever again. Why were you told to never take fly balls in center field? I was too slow. That's what they always told me. And I said, I played center field in high school. And they're just like, no, go to the corners. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to fight over this. Like, do I really want to play center? Sure, but I'll just go wherever they tell me to play. The idea of Jack playing center field had always just been a good-natured joke between Jack and assistant coach Pat Bailey. Even in practices and stuff, Bales would always shoo me away from center field. I would always kind of do it as a running joke. So it was funny. It ended up coming to the point where I actually did get to go out there and play. And then you end up starting in center field in the national championship game. Yeah, I know. I was like, all right, this is what I expected for sure. It wasn't just Jack Anderson playing his final collegiate game. With Kyle Novak in left field, Trevor Larnick in right, Oregon State's entire outfield would be playing their last game for the Beavers. Six players overall in the starting lineup knew they were wearing the orange and black for the final time. But while four of those players had professional baseball careers awaiting them, Jack Anderson knew it was his final game overall, and same for Kyle Novak. I know Pat Casey loves this kid, and. I saw Kyle in the clubhouse, Jim, before the game, and I, it's a poignant moment for him and for Jack Anderson. But Novak told me, Mike, this is the last time I'm ever going to put the uniform on. He's a realist. He gets that. And he, he was emotional when he said it to me. It's a big night for him. And even for the guys who would play professional baseball, it was still an emotional moment, including for Trevor Lernick. This is a brotherhood that has uh, been through it all together. We've made it this far. We might as well finish it and might as well do it together and cap off a wonderful year. And for me personally, just an uh, amazing three years here at Oregon State. I'm looking forward to the fact it's the last game of the season. This journey has been unbelievable. And I'm so thankful for these guys and the time and the commitment they put in. And the Beaver Nation that's here is just roaring. But before we even get to Game 3, it was the night before when Pat Casey already knew he had to make a tough decision regarding his starting pitcher. Obviously, we're backed up a little bit with pitching. It would be hard to think that we're going to have anybody that's going to probably go more than five. When you get to this point, it's one game for all. So, let's, you know, our bullpen will have to really be part of the win tomorrow if we get a win. There's no doubt about it. 
The bullpen might be the deciding factor, but Pat still had to pick someone to start. Kevin Abel had become the reliable third starter, but he threw in game two, albeit only 23 pitches. We don't really have another starter ready to go. If we did, then that would be a different story, but you feel like you don't want to come out of the shoot and not be sharp uh, and throw somebody out there that hasn't been out there. In other words, we'd have to start somebody that had not started. Kevin Abel would be limited, but it seemed like he still might be the best option to start game three. 23 pitches is nothing, um, you know, so you hope to get five out of Kevin. Even five innings would be momentous for Kevin Abel since he's on zero days rest, and maybe more importantly, that Mississippi State start was just five days before game two, so this is his third appearance in six days. But even that is doable, according to Kevin Abel himself, because he had not pitched very much earlier in the year. My body was fresh. I hadn't pitched a whole lot up until the last part of the season. I think I doubled the amount of innings I threw starting in the month of May. Kevin's math is right. He threw almost exactly twice as many innings in the final two months compared to the first three months of the season. So with the help of trainer Jeremy Ainsworth, Kevin Abel prepared in case he would start game three. I was able to do some, some muscle tissue work with Jeremy the night after game two and really helped speed up the recovery process for my body, it wasn't sore. Feeling ready to go, Kevin Abel had a conversation with Pat Casey on the morning of game three. Obviously, you can throw back bag days. I, have done, I had done that before, but the conversation was, you know, we know you're only going to go a few innings, so we'd rather have that be at the start and you set the tone. Pat Casey remembers talking about that same idea with Nate Yeski. I talked to Nate, and I said, Nate, if this guy gets his four innings, why would we not bring him to the, you know, I don't want him to come in if we're behind, if this is our best option to start. So if we're, if we're going to get him for five, let's, let's make it the first five, and then, and then we can piece it together. Luke wanted to throw an inning. Molly could throw an inning, two. Gambrell could throw an inning. Pierce could throw an inning. Pat Casey brings up Dylan Pierce, the former community college pitcher who did not get recruited by OSU, but walked on and had already appeared twice in the College World Series, but had not thrown since facing just one batter back in the North Carolina game. So Dylan Pierce was raring to go. The night before, after Game 2 had ended, Dylan Pierce had made it known he was ready to start Game 3. I talked to my coaches, you know, that night. I'm like, I am ready to start. I have started my whole life. I am ready to go. Put me in. Let me do it. And uh, I just remember Nate texting me, and he's like, we're going to go with Kevin. We're going to decide to go with Kevin. And he's like, but just be ready. You're going to be the next guy. He's like, you need to be ready. I'm like, okay. Just about every pitcher on the roster had to be ready since there was no tomorrow. But to begin with, it was the Kevin Abel show. This was his moment. You know what, he always wanted to go to Oregon State and win a College World Series. I mean, he always talked about that when he was in high school. Kevin Abel's high school coach, Robert Lovato, remembers Kevin preparing for this moment, and of all the situations to play in a national championship, this matchup might be the perfect one for Kevin Abel. One of the things that Arkansas really struggled with that year was against the off-speed pitch. Kind of seemed like it was just a, a really beneficial matchup for Oregon State. That's great for Kevin Abel with a fastball in the low 90s and a changeup that had a 13 to 15 mile an hour differential from the fastball. It looked like his fastball coming out of his hand, but then at the last moment it just dropped right off the table. Not to mention Kevin's curveball. And on top of that, he could throw his nasty deuce at any time as well. So that, that kind of made a, a double combo for him. You know, he would start off with the changeup and then bust you with a fastball and then you just didn't know what was coming next. My whole idea was, I'm just going to go as long as I can.
This is Mike Parker welcoming you to the final game of the 2018 college baseball season between the Oregon State Beavers and the Arkansas Razorbacks with nothing less than the national championship going to the winner of tonight's ball game. Game three was such an odd, odd game. Arkansas was good. They, they had guys that battled, but once we beat them in game two, we took their soul, man. And I think everybody knew at that Oregon State team that we were bringing that trophy home. Tonight's the thing. The, the ball game, the championship gets settled here in Omaha. Oregon State needing to calm down and settle down from that euphoric high. And on the other side, Arkansas needing to lift themselves right. up off the mat after what had to be a gut punch. You know, we talked about that in the meeting today. It's the last time we will ever wear the uniform together. And I just said, hey, man, just whatever you've got in your DNA, you need to leave it all in the field. Beaver Baseball is on the air from Omaha, Nebraska. This is the final game of the College World Series. Now with a call of the game, here's Mike Parker. Kevin Abel ready to go, and so is Eric Cole. First ball swinging a ground ball to Beaver's second baseman, Nick Madrigal. Nick scoops it up and throws to Zach Taylor. One pitch, one out, and we're underway for the national championship game. Under the bright sunshine, 90-degree heat, 60% humidity, late Thursday afternoon. Breaking ball swung out and missed. Adley Rutschman gathers it in and tags out Casey Martin. Two down. It was pretty obvious right away that he had his you know, off-speed working able from the stretch the 3-2 fastball grounded to Grenier Caden charges gloves fires and gets Luke Bonfield to retire the side a scoreless top of the first inning for Kevin Abel as for the bottom of the first Arkansas had their own situation with their starting pitcher Isaiah Campbell was their third starter but he had been pretty hard to figure out all season long Isaiah Campbell the next year in 2019 turned into an ace of all aces but in 2018 it was a big fat question mark when Isaiah Campbell took them out. In the regionals, Isaiah Campbell saw three batters. Right. All three got on and Dave Van Horn pulled the hook. The wild card was Isaiah, this big, huge guy from Kansas. He was never really solidified all season long. He'd look like an ace and then he'd look like he couldn't get you an inning. In the super regionals, he didn't make it an inning. He would have a game where he would go out and pitch seven innings and get you seven or eight strikeouts, and then come back the next week and he might not make it out of the second inning. Isaiah Campbell, a record of five and six, but coming off a very impressive performance in retiring the first 14 Florida batters he faced equal to career-high eight strikeouts. When he had to pitch against Florida to get them to the finals, people were like, if you get two out of Campbell, you're going to be happy. And he shut down Florida. Florida was the top-ranked team in that whole tournament. Campbell rocks, kicks, and comes 3-2 and hits Caden in the middle of the back. And that's a very good plate appearance for Caden Grenier. 94 miles an hour, Caden. Did that hurt? Nope, not even close. Never felt it. That brought Trevor Larnick up for his first at-bat since the Game 2 home run. Three balls and two strikes, one out. No score, bottom of the first. Grenier goes, 3-2 pitch, grounded into right field. Base hit. 
Renier will keep right on motoring to third. Another good at bat for Trevor Larnick. First and third, one out for the all-time single season RBI leader, Adley Rutschman, coming up. In this College World Series, in seven games, Adley hitting a whopping 538, two homers, 11 runs batted in. And what's almost as amazing is his yearly numbers, 99 hits. No score, bottom of the first. The strike one pitch is a ground ball into left field, base hit. Caden Grenier trots home, Larnick stops at second. Another run batted in for Adley Rutschman, and the Beavers lead it one to nothing. You know, that just continued the momentum that we had the night before. Anytime you can jump on an opponent like that that had kind of the momentum on the opposite side against them, we were able to kind of keep that pressure on them. You know, who's to say if we don't score there in the first and gets into the fourth, fifth, sixth, there's a chance that they, you know, could have got back some of that momentum. Michael Gretler was happy to see the Beavers pick up in game three where they had left off in game two. And then Michael added his own contribution. Campbell strike two pitch, a ground ball, back of third, a fair ball. Grabbed by Casey Martin, throws wide of first. Brettler is safe. Larnick scores. The Beavers lead it two to nothing. With two runs in the first inning of game three, the Beavers had made it clear game two had been no fluke. This has been episode 16 of Dynasty in the Woods. Only two episodes remain. Next week, we finish game three. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Don't forget to check out our featured nonprofits. And if you'd like to give me some feedback, my email is in the show notes. If you are enjoying this podcast series, you should also read the book on the 2018 Beaver baseball team written by Bob Lunderberg. More info on that in the notes as well. The radio broadcast highlights you hear in this podcast are used with permission from Learfield IMG College. My gratitude to Tom Bowman, Lucas Mata, and everyone else there, as well as at 1240 Joe Radio. Thanks again for listening, and let's talk next week.